Hello, my name is Edgar Kahn. I'm your host today for Taking Back Our Economy, a series of podcasts presented by the Community Exchange Alliance. We're a learning community where people can share experiences, knowledge, insights, and information about the limitations of the present monetary system and the use of alternative mediums of exchange, such as sharing and swapping and gifts and bartering and community currencies. We believe that bringing people together to share what they have done and what they have learned, the tools they have developed and how it has changed their community, that that will motivate us all to take action to reduce the disparities caused by an ever-growing fixation on the pursuit of money. Today, my fellow founders of the Community Exchange Alliance, Anitha Bieber, Chris Gray, Tim Jenkin, Martin Simon, are joined by a very special guest this week, Dr. Holly Wiesner, a professor of anthropology at the Arizona State University. In her 30-year career as an anthropologist, Dr. Wiesner has lived and worked with the Bushmen of the Kalahari and the indigenous people of Papua New Guinea as a participant researcher. Her research includes the exchange systems used by those tribal people and the impact upon them of modern money-based economies. In Papua New Guinea, she helped indigenous peoples secure government funding to create a culture center where tribal members continue their language and customs and their system of justice. Holly, welcome. I understand you have some slides to show and you'll share with us what are some of the core learnings your research led to about indigenous local exchanges and how those exchanges work today. Welcome. Thank you, Polly. Thank you, Edgar. Oops. Okay, so um, I guess the point I want to make today is that banking relationships, rather than using monetary currency, is something that's age old and it's something that continues in much of the world today and many people would be in trouble if they did not have such alternate these alternate currencies um it's in most traditional societies people in the past before the monetary economy came in they banked relationships to s- secure themselves against risk and uncertainty And I say, even today, we all do this, every society in the world. And the banking is sort of based on a principle or a human predisposition that is a universal. And it was first first identified by Marcel Moss, sociologist in 1924. And he said, humans have a need to engage in reciprocity. They have a need for a threefold relationship to give, 
to receive and to reciprocate. Now, you can see this. If you don't give, you really have no relationship, right? If you refuse to receive, it is an offense. It's, it's a cutoff. Relationship goes nowhere. And if you don't reciprocate at some time or as you can, then you know the relationship will dwindle because it's not of benefit to both. But if you achieve this, the outcome is a relationship of equality. And this is very, very important. Um, Mary Douglas, the anthropologist, symbolic anthropologist, wrote the simple phrase, charity wounds, that when people are given and they cannot receive and reciprocate, they lose status, they feel unequal, and they don't feel well. So um, reciprocity is so important as it gives people the potential to reach some form of equality. And it doesn't matter how this is done. Like for doctors, if a doctor helps a patient a lot and he wants to be able to get the patient to give something back, he can say, hey, you're a carpenter. You know, I need this done in my house. Can you tell me what I should do or where I should go? And so the patient gives back a verbal gift and some relation of equality is formed and communication is better. Okay, I need the next one. Oh, what? yeah, so. Now this reciprocity, it's found in non-human primates. You can see these bonobos chimps sharing. Um, it enfolds in all kids, like these Bushman kids on the left, around eight months. You'll notice if you have a baby that up to eight months, the hand is closed like that in this grip, incredible iron grip. And then suddenly at eight months, that hand opens and gives. And then you have to play giving and taking games for months and then the child is human. And um, it occurs in all human societies. And a lot of studies in neuroscience have shown that through hormonal payoff, that we're well equipped for reciprocity and we derive pleasure from exchanges. So, you know, it's, it's pretty well established as a biologically based behavioral tendency. Next one. Okay, so I'm just going to give an example of the people I work with, the Junglasi or Kong hunter-gatherers of Southern Africa. The environment is harsh. There's a lot of spatial variation in where resources are and temporal climatic variability. People live in small camps of 20 to 40 people who share a territory. And really they could not survive without access to alternate residences on a temporary basis, other people opening up their land and their place to them because of all the problems, one of them being shortage of water. This woman on the left is a glee bushman living in the central Kalahari and they don't have any standing water at this time of year and they have to get all their water from squeezing the liquid out of melons, horribly sour and bitter, gives you a stomach ache but you know, that gives you an example. And then their hunting success is very variable. Next one. Then each man and woman, and about equally, forms relationships with about 15 other exchange partners who live in different areas up to 200 kilometers away. And this woman on the left 
is um, displaying the gifts from all. Wait, okay, so the relationship has two parts. That's what I wanted. The exchange of gifts, like all these beautiful things down in the right-hand corner, which gives information about the status of the relationship. As long as the gifts keep flowing every few months, they know the relationship is alive and well. But underlying that gift exchange with these partners is um, the understanding that the one who has resources will welcome and give to the one who is in need or in trouble, provided the need is real. And this, this makes for a lot of talk all the time about who has and who is in need and who might be free riding and who is not. But anyway, so this underlying relationship is one of mutual help, mutual assistance. And what's interesting is this has something to do with time banking. The returns of assistance in all these traditional societies are not stipulated by time, quality, or quantity. Um, people like to keep imbalances until the situation of have and have not is reversed. So they don't want to be paid back until they are in need. Otherwise, it won't cover their losses. So, and this is something about time banking too. You can bank a lot of hours and then later when you are in need, you can call on these hours. So this you know, fits very well with the principle. Um, okay, and then the next slide. So here's a picture of a grandmother who's showing off all the gifts she has and the gifts she's received each one um, represents a relationship and she's trying to marry off her grandson. So she's saying, look how connected I am. Look at what a good family, you know, my son is in. And on the right-hand side is a map of all her exchange partners. The longest red line, the one furthest away is about 200 kilometers away. So if she's in trouble where she is, she packs up, she goes and stays with people. She gathers there, she helps out there, but she can stay with them until resources are good in her area again. And then the people she visited, when they're in trouble, even if it's needing a mate for their son, they can come to her. Okay, then I think two, I had them out of order, yeah. So people spend three or more months a year visiting and living with others, and that distributes the population over the resources. Now we're getting evidence, I'm working on this with studies with archeologists that such systems may be 60 to 70,000 years old. So, you know, these are really ancient basic systems. And this is a picture of people visiting. Next, next slide. So essentially here, time banking is essentially reinventing the wheel. Um, it's based on the principles of reciprocity and equality, which have deep um, roots in our evolutionary history. Um, we're well equipped cognitively and emotionally for such systems. And so they're very likely not only to succeed, but give satisfaction. It's been shown that giving and taking gives a hormonal payoff. You feel great when it's been successful. And the thing that time banking has for the modern world that the Bushman system doesn't have is it has the technology to reduce search time to find others who can fulfill a variety of needs 
um, in our large scale, more anonymous societies. Among the Bushmen, people know who is where. There's still a lot of search time to see who you can call on for help. So this can be done today by computer. And in a larger scale society, it's very hard to find who can help. And then, but it combines the technology technology with time together, which, you know, it doesn't happen on the internet alone to establish relationships, to build community, tailor time to needs and to reduce social isolation. So it kind of has the best of both worlds. And that's it. I was wondering what the impact is of the introduction of money into societies that have these traditional exchange systems, whether it affects them, whether it's destructive, whether there are ways in which it's complementary, but what the, what the impact is of introducing a money system into a world that previously had been evolved its own traditional methods of exchange. Well, we would think that money would destroy the whole system but in fact, it doesn't because people don't earn enough money. People are still very poor. Money is scarce. So it becomes another commodity that, that circulates as gifts and used to help people out. But today, the people who are getting employed in jobs and have a regular um, salary, I'm, doing, I'm actually doing a study of this now and they are giving to very few people. They're building themselves comfortable homes, buying TVs and stuff, and really dropping out of the system. So this is a system about reducing risk and uncertainty. And as long as you have risk and uncertainty, the traditional system holds because you need to bank with other people. But as soon as you become independent with the salary, you become more selfish and keep um, what you have mostly for yourself and only give it to your immediate family. We're just getting the results on this. I was wondering to what extent time banking can act as a corrective to that tendency. Um, there's no chance in this society to get in time banking. People indigenize the use of money, but they don't ha even have electricity, no computers very little cell phone reception. And so, you know, it's going to, would be a long haul before that could happen. They have no electronics. Well, in some communities in England, they issued paper money, paper currency, but let's turn to questions from the panel. Polly, I was listening some, uh, to a previous talk about that you were giving about uh, surgery as a way to to get uh, people to build trust. But um, it, you mentioned in that, that talk that all societies have these cultural conventions to build networks, structure mm -hmm. time, and invest in kids, as well as defend their turf, define what's public and private, and so forth. Right. So, mm -hmm. does the exchange system help with any of those specifically? And then it's a two-part question. So the other part is what types of social change did you see with the introduction of modern economies? Oh, yes. And I mean, it does with us too. We all have our personal exchange networks, which are very similar to the Bushman one. They're just much more limited, but we have that in friends. And 
so on. And does does in in the Bushman? Do you mean does does the exchange system help? Uh, the question was, uh, does the exchange system help with specifically about building networks, even in the Bush system that you've seen uh, in structured time? Well, these, I mean, these, these are the networks, this, these partners are, they're linked together. So these are the networks, what I described are the networks. And in these relationships, one could say that in our society, time structures relationships. So you have um, two hours of quality time with your son over the weekend and that's it. While in those societies, relationships structure time. Mm. And so things take as, you take as long as you need to get relationships right, because that's what you depend on. So, you do, so when you hire people in a job today and they say, well, I'm going off to my father's funeral. And they, you, said, you, you say, well, you've had five fathers who died. Well, you know, it's because those relationships are all important to them and um, they have to keep them up. So, you know, their relationship structure time. Okay. What about um, in terms of like defending their turf? Um, if if there is attack or something and the, how does the exchange system will work in that sense? Um, maybe having allies or something like that neighborhood. You mean for warfare? Or, or whatever it is, <laughs> however they're defending right. it. Oh yeah, I mean, if you, if, if, you need, if you need allies and something, these partners will not only help you for food and residence, they'll help you for arranging marriages. They'll help you if someone is attacking you or trying to push you out, they'll come to your aid. You know, these are, these are all purpose relationships. Okay. Um, so the other part of the question was, what types of social change did you see with the introduction of the modern economies or did that happen? <laughs> were we able to? Were it, you able it, it, it's been very hard for the Bushmen because they've lost a third of their land to a game reserve and a third to another ethnic group. So hunting and gathering is no longer, longer viable. So they've gone into a mixed economy with some wage labor when they can get it, some sale of crafts and so on. And so the, the networks, the broad networks have broken down. People are also settled in more permanently in villages so they can't move around. And um, so the whole, that whole exchange system that I described has broken down. You know, the people, still keep up some informal traditional relationships, but the whole system of Harrow exchange has died out. And then people are restructuring more and they have more dependency within the group. And they are very, very hungry because when there's environmental failure, there's nowhere to go. And so today people are you know, in, in, in more trouble. And if a government like now with COVID, the government's not delivering relief food, they're very hungry. So it's been detrimental then, these modern things. Yes, and, the, and also the government delivers this food for the disadvantaged populations in Namibia. And then as soon as people get food, they stop relying on their networks. They stop keeping up these relationships. And so then they become completely dependent on the government and then, like now with COVID, when the government doesn't deliver, um, they're just very hungry. That's really sad to hear. It is sad, yeah, yeah. I mean, our, all of our aid 
has broken down most of the important networks in Africa. Anyone else? This sounds like a very uh, common story. You know, it's the history of colonialism, not just British colonialism, which we experience here in South Africa, but French colonialism, German, whoever you were. Uh, the, the process was to get traditional communities to service the uh, colonial economy. And the only way to do that was to get people onto the money system. So in mm -hmm. South Africa here, uh, you know, the colonialists went to the Africans and said, why don't you come and work on our mines and in our agricultural, large agricultural estates and so on, and in our factories. And people said, well, why would we want to do that? We're quite happy where we are. The colonialists or the capitalists needed labor to come and work on their farms and in the mines and so on. And so the only way to get people to do that was to then put a tax on them. They had hut taxes and cattle taxes and every kind of tax you can imagine. And then people said, well, that's all right, but then how do we pay these taxes? Well, they said, well, then obviously you need to earn money. That's right. And they said, well, how do we earn money? So come to our factories and our farms and our mines and you can earn the money and then you can pay the taxes. So that was what destroyed traditional societies, money, in a sense, forcing everyone onto the monetary system. So it's the same with the Bushmen, really. It's just by taking their land and destroying their means of existence. Then they're also forced onto the money system because it's the only way to survive. Then they're forced into camps and then they're forced to get jobs and they're forced to earn money. And this is the same pattern over and over and over. That's right. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to reverse this process, I guess. Um, community exchange system is part time banking, but also we use mutual credit, which is really just keeping records of what people do and what they give. So you score points if you give something and if you receive something, you you score negative points, as it were. So the, the computer really just keeps a memory of who's done what for whom, and which is uh, essentially what happened in traditional communities. Everybody would remember communities were small. As you mentioned, they were often uh, communities of 15 people, or um, there's this Dunbar number of that. You can't really know more than 150 people and tribal groups and clans often were around about that size, 100 to maybe 200 people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really know many more than that. And um, you could, you would keep a memory of who gives and who receives and who doesn't give back. And those who didn't give back were kind of ostracized and sidelined out of the community. So it was a terrible fate if you didn't give back into the community. So it was really uh, just, giving and receiving. So what we are trying to do with our modern technology is to keep that record, <clears throat> who gives and who doesn't. And to make it public, who is taking and who's not giving back and who gives too much and doesn't receive. And, uh, you know, as long as it's open, we can all see who's giving and who's receiving. And, and it really does build up those networks again, those community networks, the support networks. And um, 
we have found that it's it's really quite amazing how it, it changes people's attitudes you know to towards each other and we do build up the local communities and we can uh, create these kind of support networks that Holly has talked about in these um, traditional communities and we can create them in our modern communities. Yeah, as you mentioned, Polly, about the search time, the computers really do make it very much easier. Yep. Our networks immediately, you log in and it tells you who wants what and who's looking and for this. also for regulation, yeah. you don't have to say who didn't give anything back. You don't have to have all this gossip going on. It's all there, it's all there. Yeah. And um, you can look it up and you can see who's riding on the system who's a free rider who's not giving back and uh, those people naturally get ostracized and we even say you know if if you look up someone if they're not offering anything on the system or they're just taking and they're below their <laughs> their debit limits so to speak i don't like to use these monetary terms but you know what i mean um we can recreate these these kind of communities in the modern sense and I think that's what we're trying to do. And I find your insights very valuable, Polly. Um, it's very good to compare what these traditional communities did, did and what we are trying to do. And in a way, they're a model for us. May yeah. I ask you a question quickly? Yeah. Um, in South Africa, <laughs> you had, I don't know, you called them Stockfels or Roska. Yes. Yes, and those were rotating credit institutions, mm. quite a bit like time banking, that everybody would bring their amount to a meeting, and then <clears> they'd have a little party, and then one mm. would take it all to cover the needs. And um, I know at one point there was more money in South Africa in, 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 in Stockwells than in the Bank of South Africa. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so probably, too, you have... Those are probably broken down, but you probably have a cultural basis there too. Yes, it's a, it's a way of obtaining uh, high value goods. You know, most people can't right. afford these things, so they contribute to a pool and the, the pool is invested and uh, the pool can obviously uh, increase its value over time. And mm -hmm. then you take turns who would receive okay. from the pool. Mm -hmm and you can get out of it more than you give. It also builds that community and you know who can provide what and so on. So it's been very successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's another, it's another mode of exchange. And uh, that's what we're trying to promote is not just a sort of monetary type exchange where you're keeping records of debits in a ledger, but encouraging barter and swapping and with computers those things become much more yeah. realistic because okay. you can make the connections martin do you want to go ahead uh, yes uh, polly i <clears throat> i love jurek's um phrase banking on relationships um i thought it was, it was brilliant it's almost like neighbor, what we would call neighborliness being a good neighbor oh um, neighborliness okay sorry yeah yeah but time banking in the uk we often have to distinguish ourselves from we're not volunteering, we're not act, uh, social action groups, but what we are is promoting and of hanging on to neighbourliness. 
But when you look at neighborliness, and it's taken for granted, I think, that it always exists, it's just trying to find the roots and the, the sort of um, principles behind it. Um, there was some, and one American study, that's the only study I could find, Nancy Rosenblum did on Good Neighbors, and she talked about three basic principles, um, give and take, which is what we, our reciprocity, live and let live, and speaking out against injustice and unfairness. Um, and I've tried those out with most people we work with in time banking, and they, 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 they resonate with them, but they're not written down anywhere, do unto others as they would do unto you or something like that. And I was just wondering if those three core, what we would call core principles for time banking, um, uh, match or mirror your experience of other cultures. Well, I mean, calling people out in the Bushmen, you know, all day long, the talk is who gave what to who helped whom, who didn't. And that's the spice of life. It's entertaining, yeah. it's fun, it's gossip. People don't do that so much. It's more banter. Hey, you know, I gave you this and you haven't done anything for me. And, you know, a lot of it is lies and joking. I mean, the last one, I don't think you should necessarily, when you see an injustice, I don't think you should call people out. I think you should talk it through. I think we're using technology in a way to kind of it, it, it does help prevent cancellations based on something one one thing said. Um, we're using AI to, based on only the exchanges mm -hmm. we have to, um, you know, each person, it's not only the credits and everything you've traded mm -hmm. displayed, but also their trustworthiness and reliability. So they could mm -hmm. eventually get a job out of the volunteering of the time banking. This is This is fantastic. I mean, to build reputation is one of the most important things. And particularly if you work with offenders, juvenile offenders, stuff I work with, if you can rebuild someone's reputation, they are a different person. Yeah. We're working with the Poor People's Campaign for the reentry populations, those who are yeah. coming out of prison and to start fresh. So when we were first building the AI art that oh, wow. they're working on, they said, well, do you want us to aggregate the, the social media stuff? And I said, absolutely not. We need to just focus on the exchanges and start from scratch. Let them build mm -hmm. it through the exchanges, not from anything else external. Yeah. That's, I think, very wise. Yeah. And are you having luck with, with re-entry? Well, I think part of what I was trying to do with time banking was to make the exchange independent of the person in the sense of worth and value. With the notion that everybody had something of value that we had to honor was a way, for me, was, a, was part of the civil rights movement. How do we get beyond simply going on the attack? And how do we build economic exchange systems that everybody can respect because uh, the one thing we, the only one thing that we all have is time. And that's, uh, and the notion that that could be both a healing and an empowering strategy was important. Otherwise the system of social security, the system of, uh, of food stamps, everything gets down to a judgment of, of, of worth, not of, uh, but time, I felt time would be an equalizing currency and could be used to bridge, uh, to bridge class, but also uh, we haven't talked at all about the racial implications 
I don't know what the, what the tribal implications are of the systems that you described, Polly, but is it just within a tribe or is it across tribes? If the time bank works across tribes. My, my thinking is that I'd love to share with you about your thoughts on this, which is uh, a little while back, I was thinking about how in time banking, people can come to time banking with very different pictures in mind as to what mm -hmm. it's going to achieve from, for them. Yeah. And um, I ended up creating a, a three-part uh, Venn diagram. And one of them was that it would meet economic needs, certain things, save them money and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another was that it would meet relational needs. It would actually allow them to form relationships. And the third would be that in some way or other, it would give them a higher sense of themselves, purpose or fulfillment or even spiritual mm -hmm. into relationships in that way. And whenever I've presented it to groups who are doing time banking or interested in time banking, that has really resonated. I've said, you know, time banking sort of sits at the intersection of these circles for some and for others, it's purely one or other of those circles. And so that has to be almost talked through with time bank members. But in the communities that, you're, uh, that you were with, the indigenous communities, all of those were all sort of wrapped in together in one sort of, it feels like in one sort of set of um, understandings and beliefs. And what the money is doing is it's extracting the economic sort of out of that a cohesive set. Yeah, I mean, in among the Bushmen, there, there's no way. These relationships are every daily bread. There's nothing spiritual there at all. There is the what we know the hormonal payoff from giving and taking but that could be in our society but not on their level it's more economic and against loneliness i mean i could never go anywhere alone in the kalahari people they'd send people after me so that i wouldn't <laughs> feel alone so certainly for loneliness and economics and you know it, it's hard to it's hard to separate the spiritual Another point I'd like to make about these systems, though, is because they satisfy so, they do tend to reduce consumption and spending and impact on the environment. Because if you get your satisfaction from a relationship and you have just a very good time, then you're just not going to go to the mall or go on Amazon today and buy something new to stimulate yourself. You're stimulated, you're fulfilled. And so I think, you know, this has the potential to reduce consumption in the future if you get your satisfaction through other means. And many people, people buy, go shopping, they buy something, they bring it home and they show it to a number of people for social attention. And then when there's no more social attention, it goes in the garage. That just feels so right on. But it is interesting talking with Time Bank members to see how um, it, when I put that three part Venn diagram, they, it, it always, every, every time leads to a really deep conversation about mm -hmm. what they're giving and receiving for and what brings them to time banking. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, I mean, I suppose if you live in a village where you're never alone and everyone's in your face all day, you're not going to get that same spiritual hit from 
social contact. Right, right. That's really interesting. But it's but they have sort of shamanism, right? They do have healing. Yep. But that that's that's another realm. Mm. Okay, so that's separate, completely that's separate. separate. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Well, that was my question. Uh, the only other question I had was I was thinking of bar mitzvahs and rituals and coming of age rituals as a, as occasions when people can give that they really plan for for almost years. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm just wondering if we don't need to, you know, like Christmas has, a, we have our holidays and Thanksgiving and birthdays where ritual giving is part of the process. Mm -hmm. It's different, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a celebration of a relationship or of an event uh, that's part of the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd say when the Bushman exchange gifts, it's definitely a celebration of a relationship. Mm. But it's ongoing. Yeah. It sounds like it's for them, it's ongoing. So they don't have a Christmas day or a bar mitzvah. It's like their ongoing um, ritual. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in many African societies, there's a delayed sense of this in that people, I mean, not all, but they go through age grades. And when you're um, young, you know, you're, you're indoctrinated with all the values. And when you're young family, people help you. And when you meet, reach middle age, you're supposed to start to give feasts to community. And then when you're an elder, you give bigger feasts. And then when you die and you're an ancestor, you help community from above. So there's a sense that when you're developing and growing, you're taking, and then you're given back. And that's why people, capitalists in, in West Africa, when they go to the city and make a lot of money and don't come back and give to the community, they're, they're accused of being witches, of eating people's hearts. Mm. So that does sound like a spiritual thing. Um, the, the fact that after life, that there's oh, yeah. something, uh, that's the spiritual component kind of, right? It's a spiritual component, yeah. yeah. This has been the first of a series of sessions where I think we've tried to break out of a fixation with time banking or with currency and really realize that we're part of, uh, we are, I think, at a cutting edge of restoring these other systems in some sense uh, by being conscious, by making us more conscious of the exchanges. We all go beyond time banking, I think, in our daily lives and in these relationships. And I really feel that this is an intellectual uh, attempt to say, no, there's a sphere that we all need to begin to honor beyond economics, traditional economics. And that, that brought us together and the time banking was simply a vehicle and a catalyst uh, for a new set of relationships. Yeah, and so relationships in turn take care of our needs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We wouldn't value them unless they did, even if it's emotional or social, but then, so that turns it back into yeah, feeling but we, need. But we, we all say we can demean those relationships by commercializing them. So uh, I think our awareness of these systems is really a shared exploration of how what we do can be a, a healthy catalyst for, for, for bigger things than the, than the simple one hour exchange. It has been such a wonderful conversation. Do yeah. you want to kind of close it out, Edgar? Well, I think I think everybody should say a, a word of uh, how they reacted because 
this was a joint decision for us to go beyond what we were doing before. Dolly, this has been just great. We really appreciate oh, it. Oh, well, no, it's, it's my pleasure. And I, it's really exciting to know. I mean, for me, of course, South Africa is particularly exciting because, you know, I've worked with the Bushmen since 1973. And I'm just so happy to see that this is going on. I wouldn't say we are trying to recreate traditional societies, but we have a lot to learn from them. And uh, Polly, you've kind of confirmed that, uh, you know, relationships are really more important than accumulating wealth. Um, yeah. And I've, uh, in our community exchange system, that's what we have aimed at, trying to build community, build support networks, not to accumulate, to try and keep your, your balance, as it were, around zero which means that you've given as much as you've received and not to think that uh, some kind of massive <clears throat> uh, balance or ma massive accumulation of, uh, of uh, um, I don't know, gift giving in, in a way you can have competitive gift giving and where yeah. someone is then controlling the community because they've given so much. It's a question of not being feeling obligated and not also um, being in a position that you can have others obligated to you and therefore you can control them, level all those <laughs> obligations in a way. That's what we try to work on is just um, many events where people gather and share experiences, uh, markets where we all get together and the markets are really almost not exchange platforms but just places where people meet and chat and talk about things and almost the, the exchange and the trading is secondary to the friendships that you build there and um, it's just uh, good to be reminded that we're not reinventing the wheel you know these traditional communities live very happily <clears throat> maybe not today because they're their relationships have been broken up by the introduction of money. But uh, if we look at the, their traditional ways of relating to each other and giving and reciprocating, give, receive and reciprocate, I love those three terms coming together. I try and remind people that we come into, the, into a consciousness nine months in debt. <laughs> and that we've got some serious debt to repay to build, fam build family and community. We didn't do it ourselves. Martin and, and, and Anita, let's have some closing observations from you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a delight to confirm my own particular prejudices about caring and connectedness. I, I see it as the root, relationships, the root of everything we're trying to do. The hearing about tribal people and the talking as we were earlier about the conflict between people um, and empathy is part of the human being a human being I've often heard said you know mm -hmm. I worry about empathy because em you're more empathetic for the people in your own tribe they like to actually uh, get confirmation about relationships and to know that we mustn't let money define what's valuable to us or what's possible um, there's no the limit to what people can do a group of people together have uh, got a like-minded or like-minded and a little bit of encouragement you know i think just to add something here with tribalism you are you are more empathetic but in the past 
people could not be obligated to everybody. They had to be committed to, you know, the people they could support. And that these groups that form these social groups, whether tribes, subtribes, whatever, these are really saying, these are the people I'm going to take care of. I can't take care of everybody. Mm, That's okay. a bit more of a problem in the world today when things are larger. Elisa? And really educational, especially I am work not with Bushmen, but other um, African um, communities like in Tanzania. I, I'm learning from them that it's uh, to, to install something technological, we have to work with the elders <laughs> there. And um, it's, mm -hmm. it's been eye-opening, but from, from what you were saying, maybe we shouldn't kind of try to push, you know, our modern way of life. So we sh I, I will, you know, be more careful and try to understand how their way of life is and not try to, you know, push ours. So that's something I, I, I think I, I, I learned from, from your lecture. Let them indigenize time banking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the first time we've actually recorded one of these sessions. We made a decision that wouldn't it be great if we could create a store of, of, of these ideas and perceptions and interactions so that they could be shared over time and we could revisit them. So thank you so much, uh, Polly, for kicking off the uh, process that we're now endeavoring to, uh, to really create and preserve as a new tradition. Oh, well, thank you. And I always learn from you and all of you in what you're doing, the ideas.